Good. All right. Hey, we're going to start a new series this morning that I'm really excited about that we're calling Relationship Assassins. And uh, just going to look at some things. By the way, I'm going to turn this heat off. Is anybody else sweating bullets? Yeah, thank you. Um, that we're looking at some things. Uh, oh, it was already off. That's encouraging. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> We're going we're gonna to look at some things. If you've got any important relationship in your life, whether it's a marriage or a dating relationship or a relationship with, with your kids or your parents or your friends or whoever, any, any relationship that's, that's genuinely important to you in your life, you know that um, sometimes those relationships can get a bit fragile. Sometimes that, that there are things that can come up in the course of any relationship where you begin to go, wow, you know, like this, this is becoming work. And, we, and we, all, we all fall into that trap of saying, it shouldn't be this much work to be in a relationship with you. It shouldn't be this much work to be your kid. It shouldn't be this much work to be your wife. It shouldn't be this much, you know, whatever. And, and, and it just becomes burdensome. And I think a lot of times, uh, uh, especially for us as followers of Jesus Christ, the relationship struggles that we end up going through oftentimes are the result of what I think is just very direct spiritual attack. I think the enemy would love nothing more than to deplete your support network, isolate you, and take you out. And one of the ways that the enemy does this in our life is that he erodes at our relationships, and, he, and there are certain things, uh, certain assassins that are common to so many relationships. I've done uh, marriage counseling and all kinds of other counseling for years and years and years. And, and there are common themes that come up over the course of that, whether it's in the, uh, about a marriage or a friendship or, 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 or a parent-child relationship, whatever. There are common thing, themes that will come up that seem to be attacking, assass, trying to assassinate certain relationships. And, and so for the next four weeks, that's what I want to do is spend some time looking at the, the, the four kind of, kind of most common characteristics of that. And the one we want, I want to talk, out today, talk about today is uh, that of the uh, assassin of character creep. The assassin of character creep that we oftentimes allow our, our values, our character, our integrity to, uh, to be compromised, to begin to erode a little bit. And I don't think we realize how much of an impact that has on our relationships when we begin to compromise our own values. Who here has ever had a conversation with a loved one where they have said, this is not you. This is not you. Yeah, like, what, why are you, what, are you, what are you doing? Why are you behaving this way? Like, this is, not, this is not who you are. This is not who we are as a family. I had a, a conversation just the other day with, with one of my children, uh, that, and, and all the Myers kids have got it at one point or another, uh, where I say, yeah, we're Myers. We don't really do that. That's not, that's not our thing. That's not our thing. And so, just to get, you know, kind of rearing them up in the way of, of, of what kind of character is expected of, of, our, of our family. And that was passed down to me from my dad and to, from, to him from his dad and on and on and on. And mothers, too. And so, anyway, we, I want to take a look at that. Before we kind of dive into some scripture surrounding that, I want you to take a look at another testimony. Uh, this is uh, from Demario Davis. Check this out. First year I played football, I played running back. I went out and scored like, you know, 50 touchdowns in a year. Our team went undefeated all the way to the championship game, and I just kind of knew uh, 
then that football was a possible avenue for success for me. Going into my ninth grade year, I'm introduced um, to marijuana, I'm introduced to alcohol, I'm introduced to uh, sex. This is a 14-year-old kid uh, dealing with this stuff, and I didn't have a father figure around to teach me, you know, what all that meant. All I had was to look to were the guys in the streets, which was drug dealers, guys who had criminal records, and I was looking up to those guys. So I just figured I was supposed to do what they did. I wanted to show them that I wasn't scared, that I wasn't uh, afraid to be a bad boy or whatever. I just wanted to impress them. I tried to jack um, another kid for his wallet. I tried to steal his wallet in the hallway and I ended up getting in trouble and getting um, expelled from school. I remember my mom calling me on the phone and just hearing her brokenness when she answered the phone, you know, just like, DeMario, what have you done? And when she said that, it was almost to the point of, you have messed up your life. And I remember uh, being out running the streets with some of my friends, and we were breaking in cars. I punched the window, and I cut my arm up. And I have this uh, serious gash in my arm. And I felt like this was the first time I heard an audible voice from God. And he said, that's strike number two. The first strike was you getting kicked out of school. The second strike is you almost killed yourself tonight. If it would have been a few inches down, I could have gashed my wrist and died that night. That scared me to the point of, from the rest of my junior and my senior year, I cleaned up my act. I get to college, but the fruit of my life still isn't changed. I get back and I'm, all of a sudden I'm at this college and now I'm a small fish in a big pond. So I feel like I gotta prove myself all over again. So I go back to drink and I go back to smoke and I go back to partying and I land myself in jail. We stealing groceries out of Walmart. And I just remember looking around and like, whatever I'm trying to do with my life, it isn't working. I had a chance to make it out and now my coach can take my scholarship and I'd be sent back home. And I, I messed up my opportunity before I even played a snap on the field. Fortunately, the coach did not kick me off the team. He gave me another chance. Cause a little while later, our team chaplain who I've been going to Bible studies with, he started to spend time with me in the Word. He was talking about, you know, these radical ideas that I had never even thought about. And then he started to show me in the Bible that matched exactly what he was saying. And I never had looked at the Bible in that life. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And he was talking about, this is talking about your heart. So my whole theory with God was, at the end of the day, God, you know I got a good heart. Well, this was showing me that I had a bad heart because nothing but bad fruit was coming from my life. But then he told me something that was reassuring and encouraging. He said, God will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that night I went home and I was scared and I just prayed. It was the most sincere prayer I had ever prayed. I said, God, I need a new heart. That's all I said. The next day I was hoping that everything would change. I woke up and by the end of the day I was doing a lot of the same stuff I had been doing. And I was like, man, you said that God would give me a new heart if I asked. He said, if you ask for a new heart, God will honor it and God will give it to you. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but he's going to give it to you. The message started to resonate, and I started to understand why Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to pay for those sins, and until we get a new heart, we can't fix what's coming out of us. And that God wants to come inside of us and clean us so that he can draw us back to himself. And, and it was like he was taking the scales off my eyes. At that moment, he removed the taste of alcohol from my mouth. He didn't remove marijuana and sex right then. but. I said, God, you're the Lord of my life, and I'm gonna choose to serve you. When you wanna move these things, you will. And he did, a little bit later, um, he removed marijuana, and then uh, I was in an imperial relationship for five years. God broke it. He was 
like it's time to get out of this. And I got out of that relationship. For two years, I walked in purity. I dated my wife, and then we were married a year and a half later. And that was the first time I'd ever did a relationship the right way. And to say that I've done that now and then look at the, the benefits of uh, a blessed relationship and our marriage of after four years and our, our beautiful children, just to see that the fruit that's come from it, you just understand God is a God of order. And when we do things in his order, he can bless them more. I let go and I said, God, I'm trusting you. I don't know where you're going to take me. And he's brought me closer and closer to him. Proverbs I, I want to read to you right now. Um, and I love the book of Proverbs. It's like fortune cookies for Christians. And uh, it's just they, they, these little uh, kind of pithy uh, sayings that, that uh, you know, were collected in, into this book that we call Proverbs. They're just, just words of wisdom. And, and, and there's some really, really powerful ones in there. There's some funny ones too. Uh, these aren't the funny ones. But anyway, Proverbs uh, 10 and 9 says this, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. That's so true. I say, I say this all the time that, that you know, what happens when, when, when we are wandering away from God through, through whatever, what, any, any of the you know, things that he may have spoken of or any of the things that you have weaknesses in your own life about, when we start to wander away from God's plan for our lives, what the Holy Spirit does for us who follow Jesus Christ is that he begins to deal with us softly, quietly. Uh, it's, it's, that, it's that still small voice uh, that, that we hear about in Scripture where the Lord just kind of comes to us in our, in our heart and our thoughts and, he's, and, and just kind of reminding us, this is not the path for you. This is not what I've called you to in your life. And he does that. And if, and if we respond to that and get back on track, then, then, then all is well. If we ignore that, that gentle nudging back towards the, the path that, that we, we know is right... Um, then God tends to turn up the volume. He tends to, I always say, if you don't handle your sin privately, God will deal with it publicly. He will, and I mean, that's just proven true in my life. It's proven true in other people's lives that you know of, I'm sure, and in your own lives, that God wants to steer us on the path that he knows is the wisest path for us, the one that will keep us close to him, keep our relationships sound and strong, and if we begin to stray off of that path, he, he gently nudges us back on. If we resist and resist and are intent on going our, our own way and we want to keep whatever sin issue that is that we're dealing with, we want to keep that private, eventually God will see that that issue is made public. And, that, and we've, we've, every one of us could probably raise our hand and say, remember a time in our life where a private sin issue was made public in our lives and, and just remember feeling the embarrassment behind that uh, the shame, the whatever it was that was there, and and but but that wake up call. I I can I mean I when I think of that I think of a, a time in my life where I always say it was like God just grabbed me by the neck of the nap of the neck and punched me in the face to wake me up because I wasn't because I was being stubborn before then, but He got my attention in a really really big way, and 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 put me kind of back on the track. And it was the wake up call that I needed. Proverbs twenty eight six says this: Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. There's something about integrity. We hear that word thrown around a lot. You hear, especially like on the 24-hour news networks and things like that, you hear uh, you talked about different politicians and their integrity or their lack of integrity and, 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 and being 
just kind of, it's kind of a fuzz, it's become kind of a fuzzy word. Something like integrity shouldn't be a fuzzy word, but it's become one of those words. And, and what I want to talk about for, for just a little bit is, to me, integrity is knowing who you are. For the follower of Jesus Christ, knowing who Christ has called you to be, affirming those values and sticking to those values even when it gets tough, even when it's not comfortable. One, two of my favorite stories in the Bible, I've been re- reading uh, a new reading plan recently and just, just finished up reading at the end of Genesis the story of uh, Joseph. And I love that story. It's probably one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Joseph is just this great character in Genesis. But there is uh, a great story where, where Joseph was sold, sold by his brothers into slavery and taken off to Egypt and that sort of, he was a, a servant in a guy's house by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife had eyes for Joseph. Potiphar's wife wanted uh, Joseph sexually, and she was constantly just coming on to him and trying to, to get him to, to uh, you know, sleep with her and things like that, and he resisted, and he resisted, and finally one day when Potiphar was out of town, Joseph's in the house, and Potiphar's wife comes up to him, and she really gets aggressive and really, you know, kind of uh, um, comes on to him in a really, really strong way, freaks Joseph out. He just runs off. Well, at the time, she had been holding on to his robe and he was in such a hurry to get out of there and get out of the situation he just was like whoop and just left his robe behind and took off just was like I'm fleeing from this situation well it, the, the 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 sad part of that story is that it looked bad and so he got thrown into prison and and uh, but God had a plan in all this and and Joseph ends up eventually being elevated to second in command in all of Egypt behind Pharaoh only and it's a great great story great story but Joseph knew who he was knew what he was and wasn't willing to do had his mind made up he knew the kind of man he wanted to be and so when the time of testing came it was a no-brainer. It was instinctive for him to do the right thing. Now, you could have a conversation with him about, hey, next time grab your clothes on the way out the door. But um, he, was, he, he knew who he was and knew that he needed to get out of that situation. Contrast that story to the story of King David, where King David is, it's, it's, we're, we're told it's the, it was the season when nations were warring, at war with one another. And his men were out in battle fighting a big battle, and he decided, hey, I'm king. I don't need to go to this battle. I'm going to stick around, let them go fight this for me. And so that's what he does. And he is kind of being lazy and lounging around. He's up on the rooftop of the palace, and he can see out over the city all the other rooftops, and he sees a, a young woman by the name of Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop, which, is, which was common. Uh, that, that was kind of where they did that sort of thing. And so he, the point is that David knew probably what he would see when he went out on the rooftop at that time of night. He sees what he sees. He starts to lust after her. And as king, he just sends for her. Go bring her to me. And so they bring her to him and he sleeps with her. Shady, shady, shady stuff. And then she gets pregnant. So he's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So he calls her husband back in from the battle. He had been out dutifully, dutifully, that's not the right word. Dutifully. <laughs> dutifully do. Um, anyway, he had been out dutifully. That still doesn't sound right, but anyway, we'll go with it. Uh, serving his country out there at the, on the battlefield and that sort of thing. David calls him back home, says, hey, you've been doing a great job. Take a break. You know, spend some time with your wife. He's hoping that, you know, they'll, they'll uh, you know, get busy and, and it'll all be washed under the rug, right? And so... This guy is like, no, 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 no. My, my brothers in arms are out on the field. There's no way I'm going to 
sit here and relax and enjoy time with my wife when they can't do the same thing. He wouldn't even go in the house, slept in the doorway of his house, wouldn't even go in, right? So David feels pinned into a corner. Now he can't sweep this under the rug and make it go away. So he sends a letter back with this husband to the front line to give to the general. And the, he doesn't read it, obviously. He's, he's, he's doodly doing what he's supposed to do, right? <laughs> and so, so he goes out, hands the letter to the general, and the letter says, put this guy on the front lines. And he's killed in battle. He's killed in battle. David ran from lust to adultery, to lies, to now murder. Murder. The difference between the story of Joseph and the story of David is that Joseph had his mind made up before he got into the situation that he got himself into. His mind was made up. He knew who he was, who God had called him to be, and what he was and wasn't willing to do with his life. David waits to make his decision until he's on the rooftop, looking, scanning the city, lusting after women, and then he's hoping maybe he'll make the right decision. And he does it. And I'm telling you in our lives, when it comes to our integrity, if you wait to make that decision when it comes to your integrity, till you're in the moment of the test, Almost every time you'll make the wrong decision. Your mind has to be made up. You have to have a clear view of, of your life and your blessings and what you're not willing to give up in your life. And this, I think this plays especially true in the context of our relationships. I, I, I had a conversation with um, another one of my kids recently where I, I said, you know... Um, you know, I, I was kind of listing all my faults, not all of them, but a handful of them. And uh, I just said, you know, I'm a procrastinator. I'm a procrastinator. Sometimes I start projects and don't finish them. Like I told you guys recently about my wife's cabinets in the kitchen. And uh, they're finished now, though. Yeah, but it wasn't me. My father-in-law did it, so it was great. So it was, it was good stuff. But anyway, so, but yeah, no, I like, I, I, I do that sort of thing, but, but I told, I told uh, my kid, I said, um, but there are certain things that I've committed to that I will finish these things well. And one of them is being the husband to my wife, and the other one is being a dad to you. It's critical to, and, and my faith as well. I said, it's critical to me that those three things I finish well. And for me to finish well, being the servant that Christ has called me to be, being the husband and the father that Christ has called me to be, there are a lot of things along the path of my life that I must say no to so I can say yes to those three things. I must. And, 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 and your list of things that you have to say yes and no to might differ from mine, but I'm telling you, your mind needs to be made up. If you really want to contribute to those relationships in a way that is meaningful. Don't allow your integrity to erode. This is the big point for this, is that an eroding character also erodes your relationships. An eroding character also erodes your relationships. Um, I can't tell you how many times that I've had uh, relationship troubles in my marriage because I decided to start taking 
some shortcuts in terms of my values. And I got a good and beautiful godly wife who was quick to remind me who I was. Quick to remind me who I was. Struggling with certain issues in my life, and she would come alongside of me and go, this is not who you are. This is not who we are as a family. This is not what, how you want your story written. And she was exactly right, steering me back on that path. God using her in my life to influence me. Maybe you don't have a spouse partnering alongside of you that, that, that has that kind of spiritual strength and you wish you did or whatever. It doesn't matter because what God will do and what God does is that he just sends the voice of the Holy Spirit to your heart and he does the exact same thing. Does the exact same thing. Don't allow your eroding character to also erode your most important relationships. Now, there's another video I want to play for you. This is a player by the name of Case Keenum. Take a look at what he has to say, him and his wife. You know, one of our, our first memories of each other played flashlight tag throughout the church, you know, at night. I remember seeing her run back to base and not, not remembering her name exactly, but her older brother, Brandon, who I was better friends with at the time, I said, uh, I got you, Brandon's little sister. And uh, I turned around and I said, that's not my name. And I ran to base. I don't know if that was the start of our <laughs> romance, but uh, it was definitely one of our first memories of each other. You know, coming into to college, I was consumed by football. Um, you know, was, I'm a competitive person. You know, when it didn't come easy, uh, you know, I struggled with it. You know, throwing one bad pass at practice or having a mistake, you know, here or there, uh, you know, really consumed me. And you know, it was a lesson I, I, I continually learned from freshman year all the way up to senior year when I hurt my knee that I was not just a, a football player that happened to be a Christian. I was a Christian who happened to play football. Jesus really commanded us. It was his very last breaths before he left earth. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the best parts of that verse, one that really struck home for us, is that word go. It's not just, not just go, but it's as you are going. So uh, for me as a football player, uh, for her as a, as a wife, um, you know, whether you're a businessman, teacher, you know, construction, whatever you're doing, um, you know, as you are going, as you are doing those things, make disciples. That's not slapping them in the face with the Bible, but living our life as close as we can to chasing after Jesus. You know, coming out of college, I was un undrafted, signed Houston Texans, signed with the St. Louis Rams, signed back to the Houston Texans at the end of that year, and then traded back to the St. Louis Rams. Moved with the St. Louis Rams to L.A. and then signed with the Minnesota Vikings and then this past season signed with Denver Broncos. Moved four times in one year, right? Six times in seven. <laughs> Any place we've been, I've, I never want to leave that place without giving the best I've got, without 
getting to know as many women as I possibly can. I don't want to waste that year. I want to help point others to Jesus, no matter what I'm doing. And that is absolutely our goal as we are going. You know, one of those big things that we've, um, you know, prayed about and talked a lot about is, is having kids, having children. You know, a few years ago, decided that we were, you know, not gonna not try anymore. You know, and then a few years passed by and, you know, nothing was, nothing was really going, so we started to get a little more serious about it. And uh, over the course of a, a few, you know, bumps in the road, some, some different uh, procedures, some different things that we've had to go through, um, you know, we're still praying that God's, you know, plan has, has children for us. Having kids is not going to give me this ultimate happiness. Like, yes, it's going to be so joyful and amazing, and I cannot wait for hopefully the Lord to provide that in our lives. But I still feel like He's just teaching us so much to find the ultimate joy in Him and in Him alone and just peace in Him. And I feel like the Lord has us in this time to be able to just have extra time to pour into other people. So many women do feel shame and do struggle with it so much and go through a lot more than what we've been through. And I just don't want to go through this time, like we were saying earlier, to be a waste. Like I want to be able to still help point somebody to Christ through the midst of it. Like I don't want to wait till I'm on the outside of it. I want in the midst of it, as we're going, to help another woman going through this. And I understand it stinks, but like God has purpose no matter where we're at in our life. There's not a doubt in our mind that God's plan is so much better than anything that we ever imagined. I love that phrase, in the midst of it, as we're going, as we're going. Um, I want to talk about a different kind of of integrity, a different kind of character as we close out our time together today and, and talk about an, an integrity of faith, an integrity of faith. Um, it's really easy when, when the music is on point, when all, you know, our, our job is, 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 is just firing on all cylinders and when it feels like you know, the kids are are just doing great in school and being super obedient when when the dog is excited to see you every time you come home when 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 you're getting the raises and promotions when uh, you just when, when every time you open the word it just feels like God's got something big for you like when when all of those things are going off exactly the way you hope they're going off it's super easy to to be strong in faith Super easy to be strong in faith. When the dog loses interest <laughs> and um, there is more uncertainty in your life than certainty, 
when life hands you a set of circumstances that was just simply not part of your plan, it's, it's much more difficult to be faithful. Much more difficult. It's harder to, to get as excited and as confident about our faith in, in times like, in like that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was going through a situation when he wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, he was in prison at the time. This Corinthian church that he had helped to plant and, and the, the, you know, this body of believers that he just loved so much, so much, had caused him a, a great deal of joy and also a great deal of pain. Um, they were a, a, a bit of a dysfunctional church. In fact, earlier this week I was reading one of the earlier, early church fathers uh, who had written about 100 years after this letter was written, and he was writing to the church in Corinth, and they were still jacked up. They were just still a jacked up church. And, um, but anyway, this church had basically broken his heart because they had uh, decided that they were ashamed of him um, because maybe he wasn't as good a teacher as some, and also because he was constantly landing himself in jail. Even though he was landing himself in jail for his faith, they, they were just ashamed of him. They offered him very little help. And so he's writing this letter to, to kind of express how much he still loves them and how, how much he hopes that their heart would change for him. And, and this is one of the things that he says there in chapter 4, starting with verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. He's, he's in the middle of a dank prison cell, um, not, not a modern prison cell. We're talking practically a cave. Um, they don't even feed the prisoners. You had to have friends on the outside to bring you food. There was no budget for prison back then, right? It was, you had to have people that were looking out for your best interest. He is just left alone, isolated in shackles in this damp, cave-like atmosphere. And he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. <laughs> I imagine Paul saying that in that situation. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. And the big point I want to leave us with today is this. Choose the glory of God when life is difficult. Choose the glory. Like Let there be an integrity of your faith that you have your mind made up, not, even, not uh, only about who you are in character as a person, but you have your mind made up about who God is and your relationship to him and your commitment to serve him and to bring him glory for the blessings that he has bestowed upon you in your life. And you go, yeah, but how is Paul experiencing blessings? He was in prison. He was hungry. He was, he was in shackles. He was lonely and, 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 and his, his resources are depleted. How is he experiencing blessings? And Paul knew something that we tend to lose sight of, which is that God's blessings are not based on our checking accounts. 
the number of friends and family members that we have in our life, how big or small our house is, how, what kind of car we're driving or not driving. God's blessings are not wrapped up in such things. God's blessing on your life is that he chose you out of the grave and into new life. That's God's blessing in your life. And have your mind made up that God has been faithful to me and continues to be faithful to me. Yes, life throws at me a bunch of curveballs. But God is faithful. And I'll be faithful to him. And even when, remember we talked about earlier, the difference between, between Joseph and David, having your mind made up before the test comes. I know it sounds bleak. I, I do this. I, I do bleak things occasionally. Um, but occasionally I kind of go through these mental exercises of what if. Like worst case scenario, what if. What if my biggest fear in life came true? I won't share what that is. You've got your own. But what if, what if something unexpected? What if I lost my support network? What, what, if, what if I lost my career? What if I lost my uh, ability to do and provide? Like what if? What if my, the worst case scenario in my life came true? How would I want to respond as a follower of Jesus Christ? And I'm thinking through those things occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally. And I'm telling myself, when, it, when life hits me hard, hard, I want to give God the glory. I do. I hope when that happens, not if, but when, eventually that shoe's going to drop and something's going to happen that's going to take my breath away. But when that happens, I hope that I've thought that through, my mind is made up, and I will choose the glory of God over my own glory or my own pity party. Not that there aren't things in life that hit us so roughly that it's, they're not worth being upset about because there definitely, there definitely are those situations that come up. But when the, when the time comes, when the test finally hits, will you be giving God the glory or will you allow your faith to just be shaken and unsure, and unsteady. Many of you have, in this room have been through situations that, that I, I personally have not been through. And I've watched so many of you do this, rise to this. When your friends and family members surrounding you, when your, even your pastor surrounding you was questioning God, going, how could you let this happen to this person? They love you so much. And your response, at least publicly, I'm sure there were private moments, but at least publicly, your response, so many of you, has been, God's got this. God's got this. He's going to do something great. He's going to do something great. And these guys, these, these, these early uh, apostles and, and church leaders that we read about in Scripture, man, they had such a clear sense of this. It wasn't about their lives. If, if, if they lost their lives, they counted it as an honor to be able to follow in the path of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Their mind was made up. They knew who they were and who God had called them to be, how he had been faithful, and so how could they not be faithful to him? They had a spiritual integrity that matched their personal integrity. I want to challenge you, for those of you in the room that are struggling today, you're struggling with circumstances or maybe you're struggling with 
with an illness or a death or the loss of a relationship or, or, or you know, uncertainty in your career or, or whatever, situations with your kids or your parents or at school, you're struggling through something today. And you're beginning to question, you know, I'm praying to God and I wish, I remember, I remember one time my, my oldest, Molly, when she was about four years old, you know the faith of a three or four year old, how powerful that is? I mean, they, that's just amazing. And I, um, at this time in, in her life, she was having these uh, kind of night terrors. She would just wake up in the middle of the night and some of you have probably had kids go through the same thing, but just wake up just frantic and screaming, just these night terrors that she would have. And I remember one day, we were driving down the road, and she was asking me a question about prayer and, and just the details of how prayer worked. And, and I said, uh, and so I was just telling her, you know, God loves us, and he wants to answer our prayers. And, and, uh, and as a four-year-old, a four-year-old, this is not a college student or even a high school student, a four-year-old looked at me and said, I don't know about that, Dad. Because I, I pray all the time that God would take these nightmares away. And they keep coming. Four-year-old. And I know that there are things sometimes that hit us that we pray for really hard that God would take it away. And sometimes he chooses to do that. And sometimes he's got other plans. And I've learned over the years to just trust God that he knows how best He's got the God's eye view that I don't have. And he knows how best to bring himself glory better than I do. And I pray that. God, bring yourself glory in this situation. If, if this situation is just going to suck for me, then glorify yourself in some way. Glorify yourself in some way through it. I want to I have that kind of spiritual integrity. I want to have that kind of personal integrity that doesn't erode away at my relationships. I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful. I do. I know you do too. I know you do. Have your mind made up. Some of you right now are experiencing some character creep in your life. You know you're beginning to get a little off track in your values and in the things that you're allowing into your life, and you can see how it's starting to have an impact Maybe in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids or, or, or at work or however else with your friends. You can see how it's starting to have an impact. And this is God gently reminding you, this is not who you are. I know who you are and this is not who you are. Get back on path. If we're going to finish well in those most important relationships in our life, whether it be with the people that we love or the God that we serve, Let's have our minds made up. Let's be people of character and integrity, knowing our values, sticking to them, and finishing well. Amen? Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you that you are such a good God. God, you are good when things are going great, and you are still good when things are unexpected and not going the way we thought they would go. Uh, and so help us to give you glory in all circumstances. God, help us to have our mind, minds made up about who we are and who you've called us to be. Help us to prioritize you and the people that we love and say no to certain things that will keep us from saying yes to the things that we love most. 
So, Father, we just hand our lives over to you one more time and we ask you to just use us. Um, use us up for your glory. And we'll give you all the praise, all the glory. Lead us and guide us in the way you want us to go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God's good. Amen.